What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We're here with a very late episode of the JT Sports Podcast, but to be honest with you, I think this is probably about to be our new starting time for the foreseeable future. We probably won't go live this late. We're probably going to go live around 9, but if we go live on the day that they play Thursday night or Monday night, then we'll go live after the game and give some live reactions to the game after it concludes but we got a really good episode going to be giving you guys my college football week five and nfl week four picks and predictions but before we get into those i got a couple of nfl topics that i want to get off my chest the jets have some building locker room tension justin fields this is a make or break week for him the bears are going to be taking on the Denver broncos and if he doesn't play well you know, I think there's a chance that maybe he could get benched, traded, who knows. Before we begin, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day. Remember, we're not just the podcast that you can listen to on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, Leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify. So if you enjoy, give us a five-star review. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast on Apple and Spotify, and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. Okay, so... <clears throat> Jets players are growing really frustrated with Robert Sala's commitment to Zach Wilson. And if you saw the Jets loss to the New England Patriots, it was complete madness on the sidelines. You have running back Michael Carter cussing out the running backs coach. Garrett Wilson was giving Zach Wilson a piece of his mind. I mean, this locker room right now has a lot of tension. And these Jets players, they understand that Zach Wilson is not in that quarterback. You got to remember that most of these players were on this team last season. And they remember how they came a quarterback shy of making it to the playoffs. And then they get Aaron Rodgers in the building. And he gives them all this confidence that they're going to be able to have not just a great season, but potentially a season where they possibly could win it all. Then Aaron Rodgers goes down, and you could just see the soul get snatched out of the bodies of not just the coaches of the Jets, but the fan base and the players as well. There was a lot riding on Aaron Rodgers going into this season for the New York Jets. And this schedule is way too tough. For the Jets to be able to survive with Zach Wilson at quarterback. Zach Wilson, you know, even though he was the backup quarterback and nobody had expectations for him going into this season, you want your backup quarterback to at least be able to keep you in games or give you a chance to win games. But Zach Wilson doesn't do that. The Jets are playing against some of the best defenses in the NFL, so that doesn't really help. And the only way the Jets really had a shot at making it to the postseason this year is if they had Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gave this organization a boost. And without him being on the field, there's no way that the Jets are going to be able to put a winning football team on the field. 
And these players know that. And they want to change that quarterback. I mean, when you politic, this is the easiest way for your locker room to turn on you. And the locker room almost turned on Robert Sala for a similar situation last year. But he was able to still be able to galvanize the troops. But you're not going to be able to save face this year like how you were last year if you're Robert Sala because these players want to win. They want to make it to the postseason. And they know that putting Zach Wilson on the field puts them at a disadvantage. Did you not just hear Chiefs linebackers Willie Gay's comments about the New York Jets this week? He said that we know what they're trying to do. They're in panic mode. They want to run the football. You want to know why he said that? Because he realizes what we all see and what we all see is that the New York Jets aren't going to do anything with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is hurting this team, but they signed Trevor Simeon. And even when you eventually start Trevor Simeon over Zach Wilson, he doesn't really even increase your chances at being able to win. This is way too tough of a division that the New York Jets are in to be able to survive not having a great quarterback in the AFC you got to have a great quarterback if you not only want to be able to make it to the postseason, but if you want to be able to make it far in the playoffs. The AFC is home to some of the NFL's best quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. If you don't have a great quarterback in this conference, you're not going anywhere. Great defense is only going to give you a chance if you got a serviceable offense. The Jets don't have that right now. And they're putting their defense in the same situations that they were last year of this defense being on the field for way too many damn plays. These players are about to turn on Robert Sala if we don't see a change at quarterback. Zach Wilson is not it. And Robert Sala, his job security is in question. Why would you want to jeopardize your job security, your livelihood in the NFL as far as you being a head coach on Zach Wilson? We get that you invested a lot of capital in the draft in this dude. But there's an old saying that goes, you got to know when to hold him and you got to know when to fold him. In life, you got to know when to call shit quits and when to let things go and just throw your hands up and take your L. Robert Sala is going to die trying for Zach Wilson to prove why he was drafted so high. And it's going to cost him his job. Missing on a quarterback not just sets your franchise back, but it puts you in an unfavorable situation. The 49ers were lucky enough that they had Brock Purdy, that they drafted him with the last pick in last year's draft, and he was able to account and make up for the whiff with drafting Trey Lance. The New York Jets, there's a rumor going around that they were thinking about drafting the quarterback in this past year's draft. So that shows you that there's not a lot of trust in Zach Wilson. And Robert Sala going up to the podium and saying, oh, we believe in Zach Wilson, it's bullshit. And the players see through it. And if Robert Sala truly believes that Zach Wilson gives them the best chance, then he doesn't deserve to be a head coach in the league. And that sounds tough to hear, but it's the God honest truth. The fans know it, I know it, and you know it, and these players know it. And that's why there is growing tension in the New York Jets locker room amongst these players. These players want to win. They're not trying to lose. When you listen to Sauce Gardner, this man wants to win. He wants it all. He doesn't just want the recognition of being named the best cornerback in the NFL, but he also wants to win championships. He wants everything that comes with it. And with Zach Wilson being the starting quarterback, 
It's splitting up this locker room. When Aaron Rodgers went down, you knew that the Jets were going to be in for a rough season. There was no way that the Jets were going to be able to overcome losing Aaron Rodgers. Not just was he going to give them great quarterback play, but he also was the heartbeat of this team. Watch hard knocks. The players on the defense love Aaron Rodgers. You listen to Sauce Gardner, they're like, oh man, 12 is just God on a gridiron. With Aaron Rodgers, this team truthfully believed that they had a shot to win any game and beat any team. And with him gone, this team is starting to unravel. And Aaron Rodgers recently made some statements saying that New York Jets fans aren't making things better. Aaron, you're not in Green Bay, Wisconsin anymore. You're not in a small market when you can just tell a small fan, a small fan base in a small community, you need to relax and just think that they're going to relax. You're in the Big Apple, Aaron Rodgers. These fans aren't patient. They want to win. New York Jets fans have been suffering for 12 years supporting this team. They've had Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez, at quarterback, took them to the AFC Championship in back-to-back years. And I don't know how the hell they were able to complete that mission. But then they go from Ryan... They go to Ryan Fitzpatrick. You had, who else? Not just Zach Wilson, but last year you started Joe Flacco. You know, like the New York Jets have been a revolving door at the quarterback position, and they haven't had stability at the position since, who, Joe Namath? I mean, come on. Jets fans are suffering. You know what they say? Misery loves company. And Aaron Rodgers, welcome to the family. Now you understand the pain and suffering that New York Jets fans have been dealing with for 12 years supporting this franchise. You were supposed to bring hope to this city. You were supposed to bring hope to this team. And you're not on the field. And I know you can't control injuries, Aaron Rodgers, but you can't tell New York Jets fans to relax. And expect them to relax because this isn't Green Bay anymore. You're in the Big Apple. You're in the biggest media market in the United States. There's a expectation that comes with playing for the New York Jets and coaching for the New York Jets organization. This fan base expects championships. They expect to win. And they've been robbed of that. And they have a right reason to feel the way that they do. No, Aaron Rodgers, this fan base doesn't need to relax. And they're not going to relax. They're in panic mode. You want to know why? Because this locker room is in panic mode. These players are not trying to go another week with Zach Wilson being the damn quarterback, man. He just doesn't have it. You know it's a team sport, but the quarterback position is the most important position in the NFL. You want to know why? Because they have the biggest impact and determining if your team can win or lose. Patrick Mahomes gets the Chiefs a way better chance to win than what Jimmy G gets the Las Vegas Raiders. That's just the reality of the quarterback position. If you have a great coach, you may be able to overcome not having the most talented quarterback if you got a great system. But at the end of the day, having a great quarterback can overcome a lot of weaknesses. And when you have a great quarterback, your team rallies behind him. When you got a guy like Zach Wilson, you have the issues that you have on the sideline. Players cussing out coaches, the quarterback getting cussed out by the wide receiver because people are frustrated. People want to win. People don't want to go into being at a disadvantage every week offensively, not being able to have a quarterback that can deliver consistently accurate passes. 
What do you expect these players to do? These players want to win. They're not trying to lose. So there was brewing tension in the New York Jets organization. I think it's only a matter of time before this thing just completely explodes and Robert Sala loses the team. And I think it's most likely going to happen this week against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are coming into town. And we just saw what this team did to the Chicago Bears. The Jets got a great defense, but the Chiefs defense is playing the best they've ever had under Steve Spagnola. So the Jets may not even get three points or ten points in this game. This defense may get gassed. Midway through the second quarter, and that could be the ball game. And then we could really see emotions flare on the sideline. Make sure you keep your eyes on this Chiefs-Jets matchup this weekend because we're about to see an explosion happen after the Jets lost to the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday. And they probably are going to lose because there's no way Zach Wilson's going to pull a rabbit out of the hat and all of a sudden find a way to have a great game against one of the best defenses in the NFL right now. We're reaching the climax of the Justin Fields saga in Chicago, man. He's 5-25 and as a starting quarterback. And I know that quarterback can't be judged by a win-loss record, but damn, you got 25 losses and five wins? You better find a way, Justin Fields, to get the Bears the win over Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. The Broncos' defense just allowed the Dolphins to hang a 70-burger on them. If you struggle against the Denver Broncos and you lose to Russell Wilson, I don't know if Justin Fields would be able to rebound from that. Russell Wilson is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Justin Fields was expected to be a legitimate contender for NFL MVP this year. He has not lived up to the hype or the expectations. And there's only so many excuses that you can make for Justin Fields. He doesn't have a great offensive line. He doesn't have great receivers. He doesn't have a great coaching staff. At the end of the day, when you're drafted in the first round, you're expected to be able to overcome this function. The Chicago Bears are a bad team. They got a terrible coaching staff, but let's not make it seem like Justin Fields doesn't deserve any other blame at all. I've seen Justin Fields overlook several wide open wide receivers. You need to go and watch Alex Rollins' film breakdown on Justin Fields and how he can't read defenses. If you can't read defenses, there's only so much success you can have as a mobile quarterback. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how great of an athlete you are. You got to be able to throw the ball from within the pocket, whether you want to do it or not. The NFL is a passing league, and these games come down to if your quarterback can deliver a two-minute drive from within the pocket. The quarterbacks that are winning championships are quarterbacks that can win from within the pocket. Yes, being a dual-threat quarterback is a flashy thing to be, but at the end of the day, the reason why it's called being a dual-threat is because not only are you a threat with your legs, but you're also a threat with your arm. Justin Fields isn't a dual-threat quarterback. He's a running quarterback, and he reminds me a lot of Vince Young. But even worse than Vince Young, Vince Young, at least Vince Young was able to have a little bit of success early on in his career and then things fell apart. For Justin Fields, he's had some flashy games and some big flashy highlights, but that's about it. And Colin Coward was right about Justin Fields. He's a YouTube quarterback and I love Justin Fields. He's my favorite player in the NFL, but 
I got to be unbiased and I got to be 100 about the situation. Justin Fields, I think his career is possibly on the line against the Denver Broncos. If he loses to Russell Wilson, I don't think there's any way the Chicago Bears can continue to move forward with him as a starting quarterback. You got to find a way to trade him, bench him, and then start tanking for Caleb Williams. You may have a bad coaching staff, but at least you'll have a chance to start over at the quarterback position. You at least are going to have a chance to get some new blood in there. You never drafted Justin Fields. Ryan Poles didn't draft Justin Fields, and neither did Matt Eberflus. If they have a chance to draft another quarterback, they should go ahead and do so. If Justin Fields ends up doing good with another franchise, then that's cool. But this coaching staff, they need to be able to get their own guy in there because Justin Fields obviously doesn't fit what they're trying to do. They tried to make this dude a pocket passer for a reason. They modified the offense around him. But at the end of the day, you can't win football games with the offense that the Bears are running with Justin Fields if he's not able to deliver accurate passes down the field. You can make all the excuses all you want to, but the film shows that Justin Fields is not great throwing the football within the pocket. He doesn't throw with anticipation. He can't read coverages. He just doesn't look like a natural quarterback back there. It just looks like you have a great athlete back there at quarterback, and that's about it. Justin Fields being that quarterback for the Chicago Bears is the equivalent to in high school football where you don't have a great team and you just put your best athlete at quarterback. That's pretty much what the Bears have done. I watched DJ Moore wide open, running the flat route, clapping his damn hands for Justin Fields to throw them football. He's like, hey, Justin, you know I'm a true number one wide receiver, right? You guys traded for me for a reason. Throw me the damn ball. And kudos to DJ Moore for being able to keep his calm and composure because he's played with crappy quarterbacks in the past, so this is nothing new to him. But he probably thought, damn, I'm going to Chicago. I got a chance to play with a young gun at Justin Fields who was ranked ahead of Trevor Lawrence on the NFL's top 100 players list. These players really rank Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence in the NFL top 100. And yet, who has looked like the better quarterback so far this season? The Bears are 0-3. Their season is imbalanced. They lose against the Denver Broncos. They're 0-4. You might as well go ahead, wave the white towel, throw the white flag, and surrender and give up on the season because it's over. They got to win against the Denver Broncos. And if they're going to do that, Justin Fields has to show up. If they lose to the Broncos and Justin Fields struggles, I don't really think there's any more reasons for the Justin Fields hype train to continue and for the saga to continue in Chicago. I think if Justin Fields shits the bid against the Denver Broncos, they should bench him and try to trade him before the trade deadline because somebody is going to want Justin Fields. And it doesn't matter if Justin Fields does better with another team or not. You just need to get some new faces there at quarterback and try to find a QB who better fits your system. You try to make Justin Fields something that he's not, and that's a pocket quarterback. So that obviously tells us that Justin Fields doesn't fit the system if you try to make him a pocket passer. That obviously shows that you're looking for an accurate quarterback. You're looking for a good distributor of the football, and Caleb Williams is that. Caleb Williams and this Bears offense would make this offense look a lot better than what it looks like with Justin Fields at quarterback. Justin Fields has looked like the second worst quarterback in the NFL, only ahead of Zach Wilson. That's about it. 
And it's crazy that those two fools are coming from the same draft class and they had so much expectations and the potential was always brought up about when it came to those two guys and they haven't been able to live up to it. You can keep saying how Justin Fields is getting held back all you want to, but at the same time, he's 5-25 and as a starting quarterback. Win-loss record is not a quarterback stat, but anytime you only have five wins and you've been starting in the NFL for three and a half seasons, that's a problem. Even despite how bad this coaching staff has been, Justin Fields doesn't make this coaching staff look any better. You know, at the end of the day, man, you got to be 100 when it comes to evaluating these quarterbacks, even if you have a lot of likeness towards them. The reason why people like Justin Fields so much is because he does great numbers on fantasy football. Well, at least he did last season. He's been awful in fantasy football this year. And once the fantasy community turns on you, when you're a bad player, you're a bad player. You know, there's only so many excuses that I can make about the offensive line when Justin Fields is holding on to the ball too long. He holds on to the ball longer than any other quarterback in the league. He doesn't see wide open wide receivers. That's the same issue that Mitch Trubisky had. Justin Fields said he was going to throw for 4,000 yards. He's nowhere close to that. He's on pace to finish with 3,000. You know, his passing touchdown total for this season coming into this year was 18 and a half by prize picks. I thought that was disrespectful. I was like, so you mean to tell me prize picks doesn't think Justin Fields is good enough to at least throw a touchdown and a half per game? I thought they was tripping. Well, they was right. You know, like Justin Fields, I love him. He's my favorite player in the NFL, but I can't defend him anymore if they lose to the Denver Broncos, man. He has to play the best game of his whole entire NFL career. This defense gave up 70 to the Miami Dolphins. You're not the Dolphins, but if your offense can't have their best performance of the season against a defense coming off the worst performance in NFL history, then there's a problem. And there already are a lot of problems with the Bears organization. It's a tire fire, and it's not all of Justin Fields' fault, but he's a main part of the problem. You know, like, if you're not the solution, you're not... What, what do they say, man? If you're not the solution, you're the problem. If you're not the problem, you're part of the solution. And Justin Fields is not part of the solution, but he's part of the problem, which is why if they lose to Denver and he continues to struggle, they need to move on, trade him to another team. So what if he does better with another team? Some players just aren't met to be in every system. You know, like I was going back and forth with my guy Juice, and I've been telling him that if he went to the 49ers, he wouldn't have succeeded. Kyle Shanahan wants a quarterback who can throw the football accurately. And plus, his system is about throwing with timing and anticipation, both two things that Justin Fields severely lacks. I mean, if Caleb Williams was in the NFL right now, he would be better than Justin Fields. Let me ask you guys a question. Right now, who would you take, Caleb Williams or Justin Fields? I would take Caleb Williams. Hell, I know he hasn't played a single NFL game, but sometimes you can look at a player and just know that he's finna be great. When we saw Andrew look at Stanford, we know he was going to be great. When we saw Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, we knew he was going to be great. The only way Andrew Luck and Trevor Lawrence were not going to be great is if they just had all-time terrible coaching, which is what Trevor Lawrence had. Justin Fields hasn't had great coaching, but at the same time, like he hasn't made the coaching look good. 
You know, your play caller is only as good as the quarterback. When you have a great quarterback, he makes the guys calling the play's job easier. You know, like Luke Getze has to continue to change his offense and build an offense around a limited quarterback. When you got to continue to modify your offense to the point to appease a running quarterback and build around a quarterback's rushing ability in his third season, that's a problem. When you have a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, you expect him to run a lot early into his career where he develops as a passer. But by year three, Anthony Richardson needs to be a polished passer. He doesn't have to be lighting the world on fire, but he needs to be good enough that he can win games for Indianapolis via throwing the football. It's make or break for Justin Fields. It's year three. This is the pinnacle year for quarterbacks. Year three is where we can tell if a quarterback has it or not. You don't need four to five years anymore for a quarterback to tell you if he's the guy or not. We're year three in the Chicago Bears era. Well, when it comes to Justin Fields being the, sh the starting quarterback here, and he hasn't shown any development. He looks like he's gotten worse. The coaching staff hasn't helped that, but the fact that they're trying to make him a pocket passer shows you that he's not a fit in this offense. If he loses to Russell Wilson, it's not going to be a good look for him, and I think that the Bears should look to move on. You can't recover after losing to Russell freaking Wilson, fam. Russell Wilson. I can't even call him Russell Wilson anymore. I can't even call him Russ. I got to call him Russell. He doesn't even deserve to be called Russ anymore. Russ is too cool of a nickname to have to be playing like garbage. Justin Fields, man, he needs to show us something against the Denver Broncos, and I love him. But I can't keep making excuses for a guy who has a losing record and a guy who can't read defenses is overlooking the acquisitions that were made to benefit him and help him and help elevate him. You know, like, we thought that the Bears with Justin Fields this year were going to be able to take a similar leap to the Philadelphia Eagles. They may not have been Super Bowl contenders, but we at least thought this could be a fringe playoff team. The Bears and Ryan Poles, they gave Justin Fields better receivers. They gave him DJ Moore. But what's the point of giving Justin Fields DJ Moore and saying, oh, Justin Fields has no receivers if he's going to overlook DJ Moore when he's wide open? That defeats the purpose of the Chicago Bears getting DJ Moore. They might as well have not traded for DJ Moore. They might as well have not even asked for DJ Moore if Justin Fields was going to overthrow him and constantly overlook him when he's wide open. I need to see Justin Fields have the best game of his career against the Denver Broncos. And if he struggles and they lose this game, I'm off the Justin Fields hype train, and I think the Chicago Bears should call it quits and throw in the towel with them. Week 5 college football predictions, man. Let's get into it. We got Utah traveling on the road to Corvallis to take on Oregon State, who I thought Oregon State was going to have a great defense this year, but they got absolutely shredded by Cameron Ward and that Washington State offense. And DJ Uyunglele and that offense, like, they got going, but later on in that game, Utah, I think they got the best defense in the Pac-12. And we don't know if Cam Rising is playing in this game. I, hell, I don't know when Cam Rising is going to be able to come back for Utah this year. We know he's not going to miss the whole entire season, but not just is Cam Rising battling injuries, but they've also had a lot of injuries to some of their other key players as well. Now, right now, it says that Cam Rising and Nate Johnson are splitting reps right now, but we still don't really know if Cam Rising is going to be able to play in this game. And even if he does, you know, I think there's a possibility that he looks really rusty. And even a rusty Cam Rising is probably better than what Utah's gotten out of their quarterbacks 
in the last couple of games, but their defense can keep them in this game. But I think they're going to need a little bit more offense going up against Oregon State. This is probably the best offense that they faced up to this point. They pretty much clamped UCLA and Dante Moore. He's a freshman quarterback. He made a lot of freshman mistakes. But going against DJ Uyunglele and company, I think that they need a little bit more juice offensively. I think Oregon State gets the win. This will be a close game. I do expect for... Utah to keep it close, even though they won't have a lot of offense if Cam Rising doesn't play. But even if he does play, I just think that Oregon State is going to be able to get the best of Utah. I just don't think Cam Rising is going to be able to not go through spring and miss the majority of fall camp and all of a sudden out of nowhere come and just pick up from where he left off prior to that injury. I do think that he's going to be a little rusty. And Cam Rising, you know, like, He's a solid QB, but he doesn't necessarily perform great in big games. Like, his best performances have been against USC. And outside of those games, like, he's had so-and-so performances anytime Utah has played in big games. I don't think Karen Rising is as great as what most people make him out to be. He's a good quarterback. Don't, make, don't get it twisted, but... I do think that he'll struggle against Oregon State. I'm taking Penn State over Northwestern. Like, this is going to be an easy one. Northwestern is one of the worst teams in college football. Penn State should probably have this game wrapped up by two minutes left in the first quarter. USC is going on the road to take on the Buffs. I'm taking USC, man. I think that Colorado can have a better performance in this game than what they did against Oregon. They got throttled last week against the Ducks, man. They're playing at home, so you are going to have the home field advantage in your favor. And I do think this offense will put up more points against this defense. Many people aren't high on Alex Grinch, USC's defensive coordinator. But even if Colorado can get a few stops to go their way on defense, I don't think that they're going to be able to stop USC's offense too much, man. Like, Colorado's defense probably would get two or three stops at most in this game. USC's defense can probably get six or seven because of how bad Colorado's offensive line is. And USC's pass rush definitely is a lot better than what it has been in the previous years. But their secondary isn't that great. So I think USC probably wins this game. 42 to 27 is my final score. I think they will hang some points up on that defense. I don't think it's going to be a blowout completely, but I don't know if. Kalo Williams is not going to get, I don't know if Kalo Williams is going to have a tough day against Colorado's defense, man. Like, they don't really got great cornerbacks. They don't really got a pass rush. And if you don't have any of those things, Kalo Williams is going to make you look like a fool. Florida versus Kentucky. I don't really know how I feel about this game. This is a game that could go either way. Like, if you would have asked me a month ago who I had winning in this matchup, I would have took in Kentucky. Kentucky on paper is the better team, and that's why they're a one-and-a-half-point favorite. This is pretty much a pick em. But Devin Leary hasn't played as good as what I thought he would have. I mean, Will Levis was a turnover machine, and Devin Leary doesn't really improve in that area. And he was really good at NC State, but... Right now, he doesn't look like the quarterback that he once was when he was the best quarterback, without a doubt, in the ACC. I like Florida. At least with Florida, I know that Graham Mertz isn't going to turn the football over. And I trust Florida's defense to be able to get some stops against Kentucky's offense and be able to get some big stops, even though their secondary does have a tendency to give up big plays in the passing game here and there. 
I just don't trust Kentucky to be able to take care of the football. They are the more talented team, and Florida hasn't had a lot of success playing on the road against Kentucky, but with the fact that Graham Mertz can take care of the football, I got to go with Florida to win this game. This is going to be a low-scoring game, and when you got a low-scoring affair, that means that every possession counts, and that means that turnovers are a big determining factor in a game like this that's going to be low-scoring. I don't really trust Devin Leary. I trust Graham Mertz more than I trust him, and that's crazy to say because Devin Leary is better than Graham Mertz, but he doesn't take care of the football. And with Florida, with how good they can run the ball, both of these teams have great run defenses, but eventually somebody's going to end up getting tired. And if Florida can get a good amount of takeaways from Devin Leary, that's going to put them in a more favorable scoring position offensively to put points up on the board. So I like the Gators to get the upset. Shout out to everybody in the chat, man. Shout out to Trey Ivory. Love the channel, bro. Appreciate that. Dub says JT, salute, bro. Salute to you. What's up, Volcano? We got Georgia taking on Auburn. What do they call this game? The Big South's oldest rivalry. I'm taking the Bulldogs to win. Even though Hugh Freeze is one of those coaches that has a knack for having his team ready to play in big games, but they lost to Texas and then with no Connor Wigman, and he's out for the season. I'm taking the Bulldogs. Michigan takes on Nebraska. I'm rolling with Michigan, Nebraska. They don't have a quarterback. Their offense doesn't really have a good time moving the ball efficiently. They don't got a good offensive line. It's just a complete mismatch. Their defense is pretty solid. I'm eager to see if their defense can keep Michigan from having too many big runs in this game, at least in the first half. And if Nebraska's defense can play as well as what they have up to this point this year, I think that maybe they can keep this game close for the first three quarters until Michigan eventually pulls away. Kansas versus Texas. You know, this is the game that I'm the most excited for. Texas is a 17-point favorite in this game, but Kansas has a really good offense, all right? And they got Jalen Daniels, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and they've hung 30 or more on every single team they played. Now, they don't really have that great of a defense. Their defense is better than what it was last year, but it's still not that great. And Texas has one of the best offenses in college football, but Texas is prone to starting out slow and then turn it on late in the game. If they get out to a slow start against Kansas, I don't know if you want to try to play catch up against Kansas when they got a great quarterback and a really explosive offense. And they got a really good offensive line, too. So I don't think Texas is going to be pushing around Kansas offensive line because Kansas has a lot of experience and a lot of talent on that offensive line. I'm going to roll with Texas to still win this game. They're playing at home. Even if they do start slow, I don't know if they'll start slow and they'll pick it up in the third quarter like they have in their previous games. I do think if they get out to a slow start, it'll probably be for like a quarter or two and then they'll eventually turn it on at halftime because this offense just has way too much talent for them to get boxed by Kansas defense. Plus, they're playing at home, Texas. I don't think they cover, but I do think that they win this game. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was an upset either because I got a lot of confidence in Jalen Daniels. And Texas does have a really good defense, but if Jalen Daniels shows up to play, it could be a long afternoon for Texas. I like Mizzou over Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, man, like some of us thought that they were going to be able to make a little bit of improvement this year, but they're still bad. 
it's really just hard to win that Vanderbilt, man. Like, if you see Vanderbilt Stadium, it's not even really built for real. They don't really have a full stadium. They have construction being done currently with that stadium, and I don't even know why they're even playing games at the field with the way that the stadium looks, man. Like, huh, Missouri, I think that this could be their best season that they've had since 2014 when they were competing for the SEC title and they made it to the SEC championship game. People forget Missouri used to be a force in the early 2010s when they first joined the SEC. We got LSU taking on Ole Miss. This feels like a must-win game for Lane Kiffin, man. Like, somebody posed a question on Twitter. It's my guy, NMD Sports, and he said, is Lane Kiffin overrated because he looks like the most overrated head coach in college football? Like, a lot of people like Lane Kiffin, and I fuck with Lane Kiffin, but he's 0-4 against top 10 teams. And against LSU, this is a team that right now is starting to look like they're hitting their stride, although they had a close call against Arkansas. Old Miss offensively, I do think that they should have more success throwing the football in this game than what they did against Alabama. LSU's secondary has been a huge concern dating back to the start of the season, especially during the offseason. Me, personally, I like Old Miss to get the upset. All right. LSU, like, they are a really good team. They do have a lot of talent, but Ole Miss has a lot of dogs on that offense. They got good receivers. They got a pretty solid offensive line. They got Quinshawn Junkins, and Jackson Dart should have a bounce-back performance against a questionable LSU secondary, and Arkansas kept it close with LSU. And many Arkansas fans don't really like the play calling that they're getting out of Dan Enos. Lane Kiffin is a better play caller, and Alabama has a really good defense. So I think Ole Miss could upset LSU. I'm going to take them to get the upset. Oregon should probably embarrass Stanford. That game probably won't be close. I think that Oklahoma continues to roll against Iowa State. Oklahoma is so fortunate to have the schedule that they have. I mean, Brent Venables had a really disappointing first season at Oklahoma. Regardless of what you Sooner fans say to defend his year one performance I mean nobody wants to win six games at Oklahoma their expectation is seven eight wins minimum you feel me so the fact that Oklahoma is able to take advantage of a weak schedule really is making Brent Venables look really good but I can't wait for them to play Texas man like I really want to figure out if this Oklahoma team is legit because I really don't know if they're really that good as what their record may indicate. But they're playing against Iowa State. Matt Campbell, a couple of weeks ago, I saw him damn near fight a fan after a tough loss. Now, they beat Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State's one of the worst teams in all of college football. Mike Gundy, it may be time for him to get the pink slip. But Iowa State, I don't really think they're going to be able to stay around with Oklahoma. Defensively, they've always been pretty good on that side of the ball. But offensively, man, like, I don't know how they're going to move the ball against this defense. Notre Dame against Duke. This is tough. Duke, they are really well coached. You know, they got a pretty good defense. Riley Leonard, he's okay. I'm not the biggest fan of Riley Leonard. I don't think he's all that great. I think he's a great value brand version of Daniel Jones. And if Notre Dame can force him to beat him or beat them with his arm, I think they probably win this game. You see, we give Duke a lot of props for the game they played against Clemson. They look like the better team, all right? But Clemson 
shot themselves in the foot all afternoon in that game with penalties and turnovers. And Duke won the turnover battle, and they were the more disciplined football team, so they won that game. Notre Dame, they don't really beat themselves. They don't really commit a lot of costly penalties or commit a lot of crazy turnovers. Sam Hartman is pretty good. I like Notre Dame to get the win, and I like them to cover. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I think they win this game 27-17. to 17. Duke is going to hang around. I don't think Duke is going to get pulverized. They're too well coached for that to happen, and they do got a pretty solid squad. This potentially could be a team that makes it to the ACC championship game. But Notre Dame, like, they're just way too much for Duke up front. They got a really good defensive line. Their defensive line, you know, they kind of got neutralized against Ohio State, but they still had a really good performance against a really good offense. So I'm going to take the Fighting Irish to get the win. So next up, we have, hold on, I got to put the graphic up. We got South Carolina, the Beamer boys taking on Tennessee. Now, Tennessee remembers what the hell happened in this game last year. You know, they were coming off one loss to Georgia, still had a chance for Hendon Hooker to win the Heisman, still had a chance to make it to the college football playoffs, and then the Beamer boys came into town, and they delivered a smackdown to Tennessee. And it was a nightmare. It was a really sad day for Tennessee fans. Hendon Hooker got his ACL torn. He went from a top 10 pick in the Heisman hole for the dropping out of the first round to not even being a finalist for the Heisman. And then Tennessee got their season ended also in terms of their playoff hopes. South Carolina is a team that you never want to overlook because the Beamer boys, they play all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. Now, offensively, South Carolina, Spencer Rattler died. All right, they can't run the football, and they don't have a good offensive line. This offensive line gave up nine freaking sacks to North Carolina, fam. Nearly 10 sacks, damn near. And Spencer Rattler has been really good this season. He hasn't been the problem for South Carolina on offense. He was a little bit inconsistent last year, but he got out to a really hard end of the season, especially against Tennessee. He threw six touchdowns against the Vols when they won last year. So I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a good game. The question is, is the offensive line going to give this brother some time to throw the damn ball? We saw what happened to Tennessee defensively when they went against Florida. Now, I don't think South Carolina has the same kind of physicality that Florida has up front, and that's why I got to take the Vols to win. Tennessee... I don't think they're going to blow out South Carolina. They're a double-digit favorite to win this game, surprisingly. Their defense isn't that good. And South Carolina, with Spencer Rattler, they should be able to put some points up on this defense with their big playability. Now, they're not going to be able to have a great job at sustaining drives or being able to have success on third down because of how bad this offensive line is, but... With Spencer Rattler, he's going to have the ability to hit the big play. So that's why I'm going to take the Vols to win. Yeah, they may give up a couple of big plays here and there. But overall, like, unless that offensive line just all of a sudden just flips the switch and they figure out how to block for Spencer Rattler, I don't think they're going to win. Alabama, I like them over Mississippi State. I felt like Mississippi State was going to be one of the worst teams in the SEC this year. Like, 
They got a new head coach with the unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. I just didn't see any way how this team was going to be able to go from being an air raid style offense to just going from a pro style offense in the span of one offseason. And this defense doesn't really look all great. And they got a defensive minded head coach. Alabama should beat Mississippi State. Their offense is going to be good enough to get the job done. That's what you can expect out of Alabama. Their offense isn't going to be pretty. They're not going to be lighting the world up on fire, but they're going to give you 24, maybe 27 points if you're lucky, and you're going to be able to win some games with how great their defense is going to be. If their defense can keep opponents to under 20 points, you should win 90% of your games this season. Mississippi State, I don't think offensively they're going to have much success against Alabama Washington versus Arizona. You know, I think this could be an upset. Arizona offensively, they got a lot of talent. Jaden Delore, the last time I watched him, this fool threw like four interceptions against Mississippi State, and they still had a chance to win the game. Arizona has a lot of talent on offense, especially at wide receiver. Washington, I think they got a really good defense, but this is their first true test of the year. Going against a really solid Arizona offense. I like the Huskies to get the win, but I do think that this could be a game that is going to be a shootout. I see Washington winning 52 to like 38 or something like that. And I'm really eager to call Washington right now the best team in college football because they've looked like the most dominant team in college football, at least up to this point. And I know like Georgia is still the team to beat and whatnot, but at least from the games that I've watched Georgia play and Washington play, if Washington was to play South Carolina, I think they would throttle them. I think that Washington would be a more dominant team with Georgia's schedule than what Georgia would be with Washington's schedule. And I know it may be a little bit, you know, problematic to say that. I know that probably will stir up a lot of controversy in the comment section but I truthfully believe Washington is the best team in college football right now Fresno State is the best G5 team right now in America they're gonna throttle Nevada and they kind of I want to say they kind of came out of nowhere because like Fresno State they do got a pretty good squad you know last year was a little bit of a down year because they lost a really good coach in Kalen DeBoer who's at Washington now but Fresno State, they're rolling. Like, they're a really scary team. NFL Week 4 picks and predictions, man. We got the Detroit Lions going on the road to take on Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. Now, I don't know how the hell the Packers were able to come back against the New Orleans Saints, but they did. And Jordan Love, he looks like the truth that quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Now, of course, it hasn't been peaches and cream, but for the most part, he's looked up the snuff. The Detroit Lions right now, they're trying to get out to a fast start to this season. And they really need to win this game if they want to put themselves in prime positioning to be in contention for having home field advantage throughout the playoffs and trying to get that number one seed in the NFC. You got to be able to win your rivalry matchups in your division. Green Bay is a talented team, okay? And if Jordan Love plays well, they got a chance at winning this game. And they are playing at home, but I'm going to take Detroit. Defensively, I feel like Detroit has been hit or miss at times. Their defense definitely does look a lot better this season, but I don't know if they're going to stifle the Packers' offense. But the Packers got a lot of injuries that they're dealing with, like Christian Watson. You know, he's been banged up. He's missed a lot of time. 
Aaron Jones is injured. So you really don't know just how healthy the Packers are going into this game. I like the Lions to win. Ravens, Browns, this is a really difficult game to predict. I really don't know who really has the advantage and really what to think about either team. Like the Ravens lost to the fucking Colts without Anthony Richardson. So that concerns me. All right. And the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson had his best game of his Browns career up to this point against the Tennessee Titans. And the Browns, now that I think of it, their defense has looked really good. And I think they've had the top five defense so far this season. And the Ravens offense, I mean, it's been what we expected, but they are dealing with a lot of injuries also. I'm going to take the Browns. I'm not super confident with taking Cleveland to win, but if Deshaun Watson has truly turned the corner and he can keep up that level of performance throughout this season, the Browns not only are going to win this game, but they damn near could win the AFC because they got one of the best rosters in all of football. They got a great offensive line, a good group of receivers. You got Jerome Ford, who I think isn't really going to be all that far of a drop off from Nick Chubb. And this defense is playing at a really high level under new defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. The only question is Deshaun Watson. So if he plays well, there's not really a reason why Cleveland should lose this game. I like them to win. Bengals, Titans. I'm picking Cincinnati to win this game because Tennessee, their offense doesn't have a damn post. Ryan Tannehill, I think he's officially hit the cliff. I think Father Time has officially knocked on Ryan Tannehill's door and said, Ryan Tannehill, your time is up. It's time for you to retire. And Tennessee, they don't want to bench Ryan Tannehill because you don't have anything better after him. I mean, Malik Willis, he looked like he was a better quarterback in the preseason, but still, I don't think he's going to be that much better from Ryan Tannehill. Will Levis, Mayo Man, don't even throw him out there. The Bengals offensively I still think they struggle in this matchup Tennessee their defense has been really good and that's been the only reason they've had a shot at being able to stay around and win some of these games but Cincinnati offensively despite how bad they may play defensively I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to have success moving the ball against Luana Rumo and this Cincinnati Bengals defense man like Cincinnati defensively, they haven't played as great as what they have in the previous years under Luana Rumo, but against one of the worst performing offenses in the league right now, they should be able to win this game. Now, if Tennessee can get Derrick Henry going and they can find a way to get Ryan Tannehill playing at a serviceable level where he can get D-Hop the football, they can win this game. And Tennessee is definitely a team that you never want to overlook, but with how bad this offense has looked this year, I don't think they're going to have too much success offensively moving the ball. Pittsburgh, I got them beating the Houston Texans. They do have C.J. Stroud playing at a really high level, but the Steelers have Mike Tomlin, who's a defensive-minded coach, and they got T.J. Wide and one of the best defenses in the NFL. So I think that C.J. Stroud, regardless of how much I like him, and how much I'm rooting for Tank Dell to succeed, I think he's going to be in for a really rough afternoon against the Steelers defense. The offensive line has played awful. So C.J. Stroud is going to be in for a rude awakening when Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt roll into town. 
It's going to be a bloodbath out there when the Steelers play the Houston Texans for C.J. Stroud. He may make a couple of big throws here and there, but he probably should have a couple of turnovers. He hasn't had a turnover up to this point. I think he has his first turnovers in this game against a really good defense. Offensively, I don't know what the hell to expect from the Steelers offense. I'm just going to take whatever they give us. If the Steelers offense can give us 20 points, I'm not going to complain with that. I know we should expect more, but we got to be realistic, people, as Steelers fans. If this offense can get to 20, it's a blessing by the football gods. Houston's defense, they're not bad, but I don't think their defense is going to stifle the Steelers offense. I do think that Kenny Pickett could hit Calvin Austin and they can get George Pickens going in this game the run game probably will be non-existent that's not really going to change too much but I still think the Steelers walk away with an ugly victory against a Texans team that is very young and on the up and up I think the Steelers win 17 to 13 is my final score prediction Dolphins Bills man this is tough this this feels like the game of the week doesn't it so let me talk let me talk y'all through this. My mindset with this. The Dolphins offense I think is legit. Now they did struggle against the New England Patriots who do have a really good defense. Vance Joseph is a terrible defensive coordinator and the Broncos just are a shit show right now. So there's only so much that we can take away from their 70 point performance against the Denver Broncos. It is impressive. You feel me? I'm going to give them that. But they're going against the Bills defense that's playing at a really high level. So you're obviously not going to hang 70 on the Bills. Vic Vangio. I want to see how he game plans for Josh Allen. Josh Allen is super reckless with the football. And the last time the Dolphins played the Bills in the playoffs, you know, they nearly won that game with Skylar Thompson. And if Buffalo has an implosion from Josh Allen, I think that they win this game without a doubt. You cannot turn the football over when you play the Miami Dolphins. Tua takes really good care of the football, and this is a defense that is able to get a good pass rush going with Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb, and the Bills' offensive line is really questionable. I like the Dolphins to win. I think they're the best team in the NFL. You got Vic Vangio as your defensive coordinator, so I think he should be able to cook up some stops for that defense and force a couple of takeaways on Josh Allen. Broncos Bears. I'm going to take the Broncos. You know, like, I know they just gave up 70 to the, the Miami Dolphins, but the Chicago Bears are awful. They don't got a defense. They don't got an offense. Justin Fields hasn't looked good. This is a must-win game for Chicago. And Justin Fields. If Justin Fields doesn't win this game and he doesn't play well, I think they should move on from him. They should bench him and try to trade him before the trade deadline. Russell Wilson hasn't played great, and he has looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, but he's looked better than Justin Fields. So I think that gives Denver the win in this game. They're just a little bit of a slightly better team than Chicago, and they don't got as much turmoil, turmoil going on like Chicago has. Yeah, they gave up 70 points. It's really embarrassing, but Chicago's defensive coordinator resigned. The play calling didn't improve defensively from Matt Eberflus, and anytime you have a head coach that specializes in one area of the ball, and that area that he specializes in is the worst part of the team, 
that's a sign that he's not a good head coach. Colts host the Rams. The Rams are coming off a disappointing loss to the Bengals on Monday night where the offense didn't really get much going. They got stifled in the red zone. Indianapolis has been one of the more surprising teams in the NFL. They got a really good defensive front. And they can really get after it. And Anthony Richardson is expected to play in this game. He's been out with a concussion. The Rams defensively, outside of Aaron Donald and Ernest Jones, I don't really know if they really got enough horses to be able to slow down this Anthony Richardson-led offense. You know, with Anthony Richardson, regardless if he doesn't have the best display throwing the football in this game, his rushing ability is something that I don't think too many teams are going to have the personnel to stop. He's 255 and runs 443. So he's going to have some plays where he just does some mad crazy bullshit and there's nothing you can do about it. Now the LA Rams have gotten a really good performance out of Matthew Stafford the first three weeks of this year. He's played at a really high level. If the offensive line can play better and they can give him time to throw against Indianapolis, they should win this game. I like the Rams to win. Now, many people are picking the Colts, which I can understand why the Colts have looked pretty good, but I do think offensively they'll have much success in this game than what they did against Cincinnati. I do think that Matthew Stafford is going to tear up that Colts secondary and those receivers that they have, Tutu Atwell, Puka Nakua, you may not know how to spell or pronounce those names, but... They got some solid receivers. They got a solid team. The Rams could be a potential playoff team. They may not be like a high seed. They're probably going to be competing for the seventh seed in the NFC, but they got a solid squad. I think for Indianapolis, the fact that their season has gotten out to such a great start, despite the whole Jonathan Taylor thing and being able to beat Baltimore without Anthony Richardson, I think... You know, it's a good story, but I do think eventually they're going to start crashing back down to earth. I like the Rams to win this game. We got Bucks Saints. My boy Jameis Winston is in for Derek Carr, who's out with the injury. The Buccaneers got blown out. Well, they didn't get blown out by Philly. They lost to Philly by two possessions. They were competitive with Philadelphia. It wasn't that Philadelphia just completely dominated them the whole entire night. Baker Mayfield has played some really good football, but the Saints got a really good defense, but so does Tampa Bay. So who do you trust more at quarterback, Jameis Winston or Baker Mayfield? And the winner of this game is going to improve the three and one. So there's a lot at stake. You know, the Saints are in danger of falling in two and two. The Bucs could fall in two and two and their seasons could drastically tilt. So whoever is able to win this game puts herself in the driver's seat in terms of being able to win this division. I'm going to take I'm going to take the Saints to win. The Saints do have a better team and although I'm not a really big fan of Dennis Allen, I'm not really a big fan of Tall Bowles neither, so I can't really pick a winner based on the coaching advantage. So I got to go with the team that looks like the more talented. The New Orleans Saints got a really good offense. They got one of the best defenses in the NFL right now. And Tampa Bay's defense has played at a really high level, but they weren't able to slow down Philadelphia's offense too much. If New Orleans was to play Philadelphia, I think their defense will have a much better performance. I'm going to take the Saints to get the win.
Okay, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Saints winning, but this is a game that kind of can go either way, and they do have the better team, and there's not really too much separating the Buccaneers and the Saints in terms of, you know, talent discrepancy and styles of play. They kind of have similar situations. It's just that one team has a good defense, and the other team has a great defense. And the Saints' defense... I could see them having a really good afternoon against the Buccaneers who still are struggling to run the football. We have the Washington Commanders taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, I'm taking the Eagles to win. You guys know that Washington is my sleeper team of the season. I got them making it to the playoffs as a 7 seed, but Sam Howell is coming off a four-interception performance. I don't think he'll throw four picks against Philly, but I do think he'll struggle against a really good defense. And Washington's offensive line is completely dog water. They can't block anybody. They can't block you. They can't block me. And they can't block the defensive line that the Philadelphia Eagles have with Jalen Carter, who's going crazy right now. Nolan Smith, Hassan Reddick, that pass rush is finna get active in this game. Don't be surprised if Sam Howell gets sacked six or seven times in this matchup. I like the Eagles to get the win. I don't really see a way the Commanders can win this game unless this offensive line just pulls a rabbit out of the hat. Chargers over the Raiders. Brandon Staley isn't a good coach, but neither is Josh McDaniels, and the Raiders don't have a defense. Now, the Chargers don't have a defense neither, but at least you know that the Chargers' defense can get a couple of stops. The Raiders' defense... I don't know if they're going to be able to get Justin Herbert and company off the field. They probably are going to put up 40 on this defense. I mean, there hasn't been a single game where this Chargers offense hasn't held up their end of the bargain. It's really the defense that is holding this team back in Brandon Staley. But you don't really have a head coach on the other sideline that really is going to be able to outcoach Brandon Staley. And with you just having a better team... You should be able to win this game just based on that alone. And the better quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, we're three weeks in, and he already leads the NFL in interceptions. Give me the Chargers. The Vikings, I like them to beat the Panthers. Brian Flores going up against Bryce Young. I think that Bryce Young is going to struggle. This offense had a better performance with Andy Dalton in against the Seattle Seahawks, but the Seahawks defense... Hasn't been good since the Legion of Boom or the Legion of Doom. So against that Minnesota Vikings defense, I expect Bryce Young to struggle, have a couple of turnovers. The Vikings probably get their first win of the season. Cowboys-Patriots. What do you guys make of the Dallas Cowboys loss to the Arizona Cardinals? Do you think it was just what a do you think it just was a one-off thing? They did have a ton of injuries, but so did the Arizona Cardinals and Losing to one of the least talented teams in the NFL is never acceptable. New England, they're a well-coached team, and they haven't looked bad this year. Mac Jones has looked pretty good under Bill O'Brien. I think this could be a potential upset, all right? And maybe Dallas gets a little bit of reality check in this game. Maybe they're not the team that we think they are. Dak Prescott is a little turnover-prone offensively they haven't been great in the red zone uh, i'm taking new england i'm taking new england i think that new england defensively with how good their defense is playing is 
going to have a really good game against Dallas offense. They're going to force a couple of takeaways on Dak Prescott. Dak hasn't been all that great, and the Cowboys offense hasn't been as good as what it was under Kellen Moore. And at least offensively, I know that Mac Jones is going to be solid enough that he can get the job done as long as this Patriots defense has a good game. I don't really trust Dak in this game, and I don't trust Mike McCarthy and his play calling against a Bill Belichick coach defense. So give me the New England Patriots with the win over the Cowboys. The last three games we have, we got Arizona and San Francisco. Arizona may keep it close with San Fran. I'm still going with the 49ers. Of course, I'm taking the Chiefs over the Jets, man. Like the Jets, this is about to be an implosion. They don't have an offense. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have an offensive line. Steve Spagnola's defense is playing their best football. And then we got the Monday night matchup. We got Seattle taking on the Giants. Now, the Giants right now, they really need this win if they still want to have a shot at making it to the playoffs. Because at 1-3, and three, with how difficult their schedule is, they're not going to be able to back, bounce back from a 1-3 and three start. And they're not a bad team, okay? They just are a team that... People had too high expectations for based on what happened last year. You know, like there are people who thought that maybe the Giants would be in a little bit overlooked, but there also were also a good amount of people who expected this team to struggle because this is a mid team. They're not a bad team. They're a mid team. They're a middle of the pack team and they're going against some of the best teams in the NFL. And I think Seattle is one of the NFC's best teams, but they got a chance to win this game because Seattle doesn't have a damn defense. But they do have Jamal Adams coming back. I like Seattle to win, okay? I kind of was leaning the Giants, but I forgot Saquon Barkley is still injured. Now, he's day-to-day, -day, so he could play in this game. But either way, like, I just don't see the New York Giants offensively being not able to outscore the Seattle Seahawks offense. And the Giants' defense isn't great. Seattle's offense, they're going to put up points. We know that. But defensively, you know, I think Seattle's defensive line with how solid their pass rush is with guys like Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nwosu, then you're going to have Jamal Adams coming back. I think that they're probably going to be the team. I'll take the win because I think they're getting more crucial stops in this game this is it for this episode of the jt sports podcast if you guys enjoy leave a like subscribe to the channel rate the podcast five stars man if you haven't already give us a five star review man if you love us and you want to support the channel give us a five star review we'll greatly appreciate it and Comment down below if you guys like the late live streams. Do you guys want us to do more live streams around 9, 10 o'clock? Let me know because 5 o'clock, man, it just doesn't work for me with me being in school. It's like I got to wake up early as hell. I got to wake up at 9 o'clock, make the graphics, do my research, get my notes together for the show. And it's just not really a lot of time. And with me doing the show a little bit later, it will allow me to have you know, a little bit more time to incorporate more segments and do the kind of topics that I want to do. It's just with me doing the show at five o'clock and me having classes right now, it just doesn't give me a lot of time. So with me pushing the show back to later on in the day, I'm not pushing for time. But go ahead, give us a five-star review if you haven't already. Subscribe to the channel. We will be going live 
later. We're not going to be going live tomorrow because we're going to be changing things around. But we're probably going to try to go live Sunday night after the Sunday night game and the Monday night game. And then for the remainder of the week, we'll probably go live around 9, 10 o'clock. So let me know if you guys like the late live streams or comment the time that you guys think would be really good to stream. You know, you guys do kind of run the show. But before we end, do not leave without giving the JT Sports Podcast a five-star review, man. Like, if you love the channel and you want to support us and you say, hey, JT, I love the show. I love your channel. Give us a five-star review, man. That's the only thing that we ask. If you want to show your support and you really, truly appreciate the content, give us a five-star review. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast, and I will see you guys next week.